Help us to have a revelation of that, that it might bring great joy to our hearts. It might bring great pleasure that we're no longer strangers, we're no longer foreigners, we're no longer held out by the veil, but because of the blood of Jesus, we have access into your presence. What joy that should bring our hearts to be in your presence, to have a relationship with you, not held out because of our mistakes, but brought near because of your great love and your kindness. In that presence, everything is made new. God, when we observe you as you are, all the things of this life, as the songwriter said, begin to grow strangely dim. What used to be so prominent and such a problem, such a difficulty, overwhelming our heart and our mind in your presence seems so much less significant than you. For you are the almighty God. Holy Spirit, help us to recognize that, not just at this moment when we come together, but every morning, every noontime, every day, as we acknowledge that you are our God, that we have a depth of relationship with you. It brings joy to our hearts so we can stop for a moment and in your presence, everything else begins to fade away in the midst of your greatness, in the midst of your love, in the midst of your mercy, in the midst of your great grace. All the things that would try to occupy us move away and we allow you and your goodness, your loving kindness and your mercy to occupy us, to overwhelm us, to put us in awe and reverence of you. God, we love you so much. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, breaking down the wall that separated us from your presence, the presence of God, that we might enjoy your presence and relationship. We thank you for that. Holy Spirit, help us tonight to hear what you're saying to us, that we truly might enjoy that salvation more than ever before. As you bring revelation to us that we walk every day in your presence as sons and daughters of God, with all the benefits of sonship, with all the power that goes and authority with sonship, that we live every day over the obstacles and the, the strategies of the enemy with great power and authority. Show us that we are anointed by you with grace and with power to accomplish greater things than we could on our own. That you open our eyes to see past what is just the day-to-day -day and see what you're doing in our midst for eternity every day. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the days to come and what you'll do through the moving of your spirit, your anointing upon your church, your body. We give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and in every mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet three or four people around you? Tell them that you're glad that they're here tonight. Amen. Youth, you can be dismissed. Praise God. Welcome. We want to welcome you all. Welcome all of you joining us by live stream to uh, 
New Creation Church, Sunday night. Praise the Lord. God does great things on Sunday night. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we don't truly uh, consider what God can do, uh, you know, in the midst of uh, many things that are going on, but God is always looking to bring a greater understanding, a greater revelation of the relationship that we have with him, the importance of that relationship that we have with him and that we have with his people. Amen. And, uh, you know, the world is ever uh, trying to uh, bring about an understanding, as we said in the morning, that the church is really uh, non-essential, that the church is insignificant and uh, weak and irrelevant to the day that we live in. But certainly that's not what Jesus uh, thinks about his church. And we wouldn't say that outwardly, but really, you know, we, we let other things just take precedence, you know, where other things are more important to us, which you have to just say, if, if, if everything is more important at given times to me than the church, then I've said it's insignificant in comparison. And it just creeps in. We wouldn't say it. We wouldn't go, oh, yeah, well, church is really not that significant. Um, a God and his family is not that significant but because we'd be afraid, well, what would God say? But it just creeps in. You know, the, the occupation of other things and, and, and the busyness of our mind and how we need to relax and, and take it easy. But yet he says there's times of refreshing that come in the presence of God. And so, uh, again, you can get into his presence alone, but there's just something about his church that he wants us to understand. As we said this morning, he's the head, we're the body. That's really just the beginning of the picture, right, of, of how that works, that if we can get that picture rather than just a natural picture of gathering together that we're some social group or some place that we go for entertainment or relaxation or, or to get pain relief for a moment, right? So many times people come into the church because of pain that they have, and the moment they feel any relief from that pain, then they're back to everyday uh, living, uh, and that same everyday living is what caused the pain, right? But they're just looking for relief. But, man, God's so much bigger than just relief. He wants to transform and totally heal so that pain doesn't, isn't resurging. It's not coming back. Amen. And so, um, praise the Lord. We're just glad that you're here. And uh, uh, let's see. I got a couple of things that I want to make sure that we announce. I forgot first service, so we missed... Uh, a good portion, but we'll keep it up. On October the 8th, Saturday, the October the 8th, as we're talking about the church, that we are the church. We're not just part of the church. We're the church, but we're that. When you see us together, when we gather together like this, you're saying, okay, this is the church. As the Bible says, this is the church, a local church, but we're the seen part invisibly connected to the whole, that universal church. And certainly here uh, in New Creation Church, we have uh, uh, the church and uh, parts of that that are connected with us, Meeker, Craig, uh, Steamboat uh, in our region. And so Steamboat, uh, Venue Church of Steamboat Springs, is they have for a number of years um, uh, done a fall festival to really connect with uh, the people of their community. They do a lot of things. It's become a big, a big deal. Uh, even though they're may, not a huge church, it's a big deal uh, from what I understand have not been there uh, at the fall festival, but uh, thousands of people come. They bring their kids. They have face painting, horse rides, pumpkin patch, uh, uh, a leaf pile. What, what did they call that? A leaf what? A leaf pit. Um, praise the Lord. What better in the fall than a leaf pit? We used to live on Grand Avenue with this huge uh, uh, maple tree 
man, all the leaves would drop, and I would go out there and rake them up into a big pile, and the girls would disappear into that pile. And then I'd have to rake them all up again, and then they would just jump in them. And so kids love that stuff, right? And so they're there to just have a, a day where the community comes, but not only just have a good time, but they have a presence uh, there to share the love of God with the community. Because there's thousands of people, Venue Church is not a huge church, uh, they need help. And so uh, they've just asked, they've put a shout out to say, you know what, can uh, the other parts of the body of Christ that we're connected to help us out? And they need 20 volunteers to make this go uh, between uh, all four uh, of the local church bodies. Uh, should be able to come up with 20 people. Amen. And so I know there's different things on your schedule, but really consider. Ask God what he would have you to do. They need people to lead kids around on horses. Just do that. And, uh, you know, it goes, uh, it's, a, it's a full day, uh, whether or not you can commit to a full day. But what happens when they get enough people is it allows people to take a break. And for their church, if they're just working all day, all day on Saturday to minister to the community, come to, together on Sunday, you know. And so we want to be able to help them out, so uh, check your schedule. If you want to help out and get to be a part of that and, and really just start planning your schedule, then get a hold of Cassie Haskell. Stand up, Cassie. She said she'd even be willing to give you her phone number. And so uh, just make sure after service, uh, don't forget about it. Get in touch with her. She'll, get, she'll coordinate uh, all uh, of the people right here in Glenwood, maybe even... Um, if uh, Meeker gets involved, pick some people on the way up and pass through Craig. And so we'll all try to communicate together and really make that a great outreach for their community um, and uh, so that they uh, can do what they believe God's called them to do in sharing the love of God uh, with their community. Amen? And uh, it impacts us in western Colorado. Right, yes. So this is why I have a wife that helps me communicate details. I thought I just said you, could, you didn't have to be there all day so we could take breaks. But just in case, you can just say, I can only come in the morning. You can do that, right? And so that will give people in the morning. And so there might be morning people and afternoon people. And uh, we'll just try to coordinate all that so you can be a part uh, again, you can go see what's being done up there, get to know some of the people uh, in Venue Church, amen, and uh, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, so you get to know them, hear about what they're doing to reach their community, because they're connected with us, and uh, you know, as we saw in the men's conference, God's given us a place, uh, as we were with the men's conference, we started looking and we had people uh, from a church we're connected with uh, through Rama in, in Wyoming, we had uh, uh, Steamboat Springs, we had Craig, we had Meeker, we had uh, uh, Grand Junction, um, and someone else. Anyway, just through the men affected by that, we're, we have the potential to affect western Colorado, even into Wyoming, uh, northwestern Colorado, even into Wyoming with the gospel. Amen? So it may not seem like a big thing, but a few people pitching in can, can create a big influence. Amen? And so uh, make sure you get a hold of Cassie and do that. Ladies, sign up for the, the, the Rivers uh, Women's Conference that's coming up. It's going to be a great, great uh, time for you. I'm looking forward to you all um, having a, a great time, uh, uh, maybe even as good a time as the men had in the Stand Tall Men's Conference 
Um, I know for ladies it's a little bit tougher to let your hair down and have such a good time as the <laughs> men, but I'm believing that you can do it. Amen. I was just talking to somebody today, and, and uh, you know what God does when people come expecting is just incredible. And so you know, we were just talking, he was talking about one of the breakout sessions and, and how God was moving in that. And really it just seemed to, that we came together as men and this, this particular conference was, was special. The, 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 just the presence of God just showed up. Every, every meeting had an impact. And you know, you just, is it, was the expectancy, was it Addison, was it John? I believe it was just men coming together hungry for God. Set that atmosphere. So ladies, come hungry for what God has to say uh, to you, and I believe it's just going to be anointed, life-changing uh, times. So Rivers Ladies Conference, get involved in that, and uh, uh, there's things that you can put your hand to. Praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you give by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ashes will give you an envelope. Uh, as Alan says, we're so thankful for your generosity and all that is able to be done, not only in our community, but throughout the world. Um, uh, as God has given us a big vision, uh, it, without your giving, it wouldn't be possible. And so we're so thankful for that. And uh, uh, people being ministered to in the jail, uh, in uh, nursing home facilities, in extended table on Tuesday nights, a uh, number of different places where people are being ministered to locally, regionally. We see the churches that have been planted and we're in cooperation with. And then internationally, the missions that goes out, uh, you all have a part in affecting all of those lives. And so we're thankful for that. We're praying that this will be your best year ever, uh, that you'll arrive at the end of it debt-free, prosperous, and uh, blessed. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're all ready to give. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give to sow into the kingdom of God. We're so grateful and thankful that you have a plan above what we might see, that as we sow, there's a law in the earth. That as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. And so we thank you, Father, that you related, that if we would sow abundantly, we would reap and abundantly from all grace that you have bestowed upon us, that we'd have all sufficiency in all things and able to give even again, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we command the blessings upon the word of God as each one gives tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Romans, the 13th chapter. Glory to God. If you uh, are living today, you were wondering if we were ever going to get to Romans chapter 13. We spent some time in Romans chapter 12. It wasn't that I was avoiding 13, but um, here we go. Romans, the 13th chapter, as we have uh, been looking through the book of Romans, again, not to recap everything, but Paul really launches into that, talking about how he wanted to be with them, that there was a divine exchange of building one another's faith whenever they came together, whenever we come together, God designs that there's a, a mutual building up of our faith together. You all are so great at that, you know. You don't, you maybe don't know it because you're here most of the time, but uh, we talk to, to ministers really around the world. It's been our, our uh, vision that when we have a guest minister in, that they impart to you, but that because you are, have hungry hearts, it does something for them. They're not just 
passing by and the number of ministers who have come and said, you know what, this was such a blessing to me to be here. Your people are receptive. They put a draw. It, it just puts their faith back in what God is doing in people. So Paul said that there should always be a, a mutual exchange and building up of our faith together. He goes on to talk about people getting into corrupt thinking and, and just going with the flow. And even though they, they acknowledge God, they, re, they refuse to retain God in in their thinking. And so often we can get into that mode of just saying, I believe in God, but not daily retain him in our thinking. And so our thinking begins to change. Our, our mindset begins to come to a lower place of accepting things of the world. It says that they've accepted perverse things. They've accepted things that go against the creation of God. And he didn't call it a higher way of thinking. He called it a lower way of thinking. He said because of their persistence in thinking this way, that the, the things that are not natural, the homosexual things, the, 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 the uh, perverse things that had gotten into the society, he said even though they claim God, they refuse in their thinking to acknowledge God's way as a higher way. And because they insist, God just gave them over to their way of thinking, which created corruption. And that was the place that they were living in. He goes on to talk about salvation and what took place there, how sin entered into the world. And through Jesus Christ, righteousness came to all men because sin had spread to all men. And so he really starts to build that, uh, encapsulize that, talk about because of, uh, of who Jesus was, the fulfillment of the law, that when we're born again, we realize that sin has been working in us, but now Christ has come, so there's no condemnation, and we begin to live in the Spirit, and then all of a sudden, out of all this, we're going to live in the Spirit, we're justified, we're glorified, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes, and I wish every Jew knew this, and I'd give my life for it. And so he spends two chapters going like, what are we talking about here? Now it sounds like God is in control of everything, but the Jews missed everything, and he brings this uh, dichotomy and says, is God in control, or do people have a choice? Both. And that's what he was trying to show. And God is in control. God has his hand in, in, in being able to have selection. He talked about, you know, the difference between uh, uh, Jacob and Esau and why, why did God do that? Well, we don't know why God did that. Uh, that was God's business of how he was setting up a lineage and what he did. Well, why did God do that with Pharaoh? We don't know, but God can do that. But God prophesied a number of things that because Israel was not paying attention, right, they missed and if we're not careful today, if we're not paying attention to what God has said about these last days and what would take place in the last days, we're liable to miss what God wants to do. We don't want to miss our day of visitation. And so really even the Jewish people got so caught up in, in all the things that were going on in society and how they wanted to be a part of this and a part of that, that instead of just living and paying attention to the, the law of God and embracing God, they wanted to embrace everything and they missed what God was doing through Jesus Christ. And because of that, salvation came as God had prophesied to the Gentiles. So he came into Romans chapter 12, and he says, because of that, don't be conformed to this world. He said, you give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's only a reasonable service of worship. He gave himself for you that you might be set free from sin to give yourself to him. 
And don't be conformed to this world by, by the ideologies and the thought processes, but renew your mind to the word of God, to the will of God. When you renew your mind, he says, now I know what God's will is, and I can put that to the test. I can begin to prove that this is God's will for my life. Then he goes on to begin to say, listen, we're, we're the body. There's members. There's different functions. There's grace upon your life. There's ability to do things beyond your own ability, things like prophesying or teaching the word of God exhorting one another, building one another up, giving of your finances. He goes into a bunch of things that probably is a short list. Of, there's an expansion so that we can not only minister in the church, but in the community that God has graced you and anointed you to do things. But then he comes around and he says, but we want to love God. And if we really love God with a genuine heart, we hate evil. Right, we hate every evil thing. Then he talks about loving each other, how we go about life doing good and not being overcome by the evil that's in the world, but overcoming evil with good. Right? God's called us to live in the goodness of God, to know what God is uh, about doing and be good. Right? In the midst of an evil world, that the church should be good. You say, but there's all this pressure around us. He said, yeah, but you can overcome evil with good. He said, even the, for those who are persecuting you, and he was talking to people who had been persecuted, he said, you just go ahead and, and do good. Don't render evil for evil, backbiting for backbiting. Don't do that. It won't be helpful to you. Jesus said that. Jesus said there's something extraordinary that marks us out, and it's not passive. It's aggressive love. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And so he said, listen, the, the thing that sets you apart is if you just love people who love you, forgive people who forgive you, he said, what thank of you, everybody in the world does the same. He said, but when you can love people who hate you, you can pray for people who persecute you, he said, something starts to set you apart. And so Paul is just bringing that teaching of Jesus back to the church, and it will help us. Now, he, he goes into some things here in 13 that, uh, praise the Lord, are... Uh, uh, they will be uh, fun for us to dive into the beginning, and uh, I'm not an expert at this, uh, but um, just have uh, studied a few things that hopefully will help us, not hinder us. So let's dive in here. Verse 1 of chapter 13, he says, let every soul be subjective unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists Okay, I'm going to go to the New King James. I was looking in the King James, but all that starts to throw me up. All right, throw me aside. All right, so let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And your minds are already going, ah, but just hang with us. <laughs> How could God do that to us? Well, because he's good. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will be, uh, bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
Therefore, you must be subject not only because of, your, uh, because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear or reverence. And honor to whom honor. Praise the Lord. And so now we get into this immediately. Like, are we supposed to? Yes. Okay, so let's just break this down just for a moment. Paul is writing to the church here, and he's saying, listen, you, you have a, a situation, and certainly there's a lot of things going. So many believe this, that really in that day, we don't live in, in the same day, but in that day, and we can see it through Scripture, and we can see it through even as Jesus walked through the Gospels, the, the, uh, the Jews at that point in time said, we absolutely do not serve any king any governor, we do not serve anybody but God. That's who we are. And in fact, they would get violent about it. They would have insurrections constantly about these things. And they would even uh, bring terror and burn the houses of Jews who showed any allegiance at all, any conformity at all to any other government. And so they were basically terrorizing even their own community, saying, we don't we will not submit to anybody but God. Unfortunately, they were submitting to other things except for God. They had gotten things wrong, and they were living in a hypocrisy. And so in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, they came to Jesus and, and really said, Jesus, what should we do? You are a man that speaks truth. They would always butter him up. We know that you speak truth. And so what should we do about paying taxes? And he said, give me a coin. So they gave him a coin, and he said, whose inscription is on the coin? They said, Caesar's. He said, well, then go ahead and give Caesar what's Caesar's. And give God what is God's. Why did he say that? The Bible tells us. He said, because he was not going to get caught in their hypocrisy. Right? So let's just look at it for a moment. Anybody who was around in 2020, right? About May of 2020, uh, people started to be angry and say, they cannot tell us whether we can go to church or not. They cannot tell us whether we can go to church or not. So we opened up the church. They didn't have to tell you whether you could go to church or not. You didn't come, not speaking of you. Christians all over did not come to church. It wasn't the government. But by all that being angry and yelling and screaming, they exposed, we do whatever we want to. But we're just going to blame the government, tell the government that it can't keep us from coming to church. But Christians stayed away from churches by the droves, even though churches opened up. Come on. It just starts to expose hypocrisy. And so Paul said, really, many believe that Paul was trying to disassociate the Christian church from this Judaism that had gone on uh, throughout the ages because God had set things up. And even from a standpoint that we look at it, no matter what's changing in our culture today, to begin to look. So there was a thing back in the day. It was, uh, if I get it all pronounced right, but uh, Pax Roman, which means the Roman peace, right? And so for the Christian church, although we see lots of persecution, because the Roman Empire was there to keep peace, 
and to keep chaos out, which there was much chaos. There was all kinds of, of secular and religious controversy that went on constantly that without the Roman government keeping peace, there would have been such chaos that things would not have been able to take place. So Paul is looking and saying, though it's not perfect, without the Roman government keeping some peace, the gospel would never even be able to go forth. Without the Roman government putting roads and pathways in place, we would never be able to travel from city to city to preach the gospel. There are good things that God has ordained for government to do. Right? And so people not wanting to participate, even I believe that God, Jesus was saying this. He's saying, listen, you all get a hypocrisy. You're here, and you're taking advantage of the infrastructure of a government, but then you don't want to participate in that or pay anything or have, say you have anything to do with it, but you're still walking on the roads that they built. You're still enjoying the safety that they provide, yet you want to say, I'm not subject to it, and God said, that's wrong. As the church, it's wrong to say, I'm going to drive on those roads out there, but I don't think I should have to pay taxes. I'm certainly glad that there's police patrolling my city, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Right? So when he says, listen, if you do what's wrong, they could come punish you. But Paul said, listen, don't just do it because of uh, a fear of punishment. Do it for conscience sake. If you're partaking in what government affords to you for the benefit... Out of conscience sake, don't rebel against it. Come on. All right. Let's just keep thinking through this process just a little bit. Uh, it's, a, it's a theme for Paul. Let's just go, go to 1 Timothy just for a moment. Okay, just so you don't, you don't get too far off on me in your mind and get angry, we're not talking simply about passivism where we just sit back and allow everybody, uh, every government official to run over us and do whatever. I don't believe he's talking about that. But he's saying that rebellion and screaming and having hypocrisy in your heart, taking advantage of what the government offers, and at the same time rebelling against the same, there's an element of hypocrisy. He's actually telling us that we should be active in the society and the culture that we live in. So, so I don't belabor this too long. You should go back to when um, um, David Barton was here and others to hear if the church just becomes active in their community, what a difference that it can make. Right? So instead of rebelling, we begin to participate as believers. It's the importance of the church and gathering together and hearing the word and hearing the law of God and what righteousness looks like when you live it. When you live it as a community, loving one another, accepting one another, seeing the gifts in one another, what does that look like? So when we expand out and we participate in a greater community, not the nation at that point, but a greater community, and we get involved, and we begin to explain this is how a community can run when there's mutual respect and love for one another. There's not the fear, uh, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself here uh, for what Paul wrote, but he said when we love one another, there's no fear of having your car stolen. 
When we love one another, there's not a fear of somebody else sleeping with your wife. So if the church would learn to govern itself in the same way and then expand out, he's saying you start to participate in the government that God set up and there's safety and there's rule in it if you respect it, if you just sit back and rebel against it, it's never going to be profitable. So 1 Timothy, praise the Lord, 1 Timothy, come on, chapter 2, he said, therefore, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor uh, in Ephesus, he says, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, that is the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He said, I want you to pray for leaders, for kings, for governors, for those in authority, for presidents. Why? So we can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Why? Because when they're ruling in a way that we've prayed for, there's an open avenue for the gospel to be preached. In the United States of America, a government was set up, which we, whether you agree with it or not, we can see. We can just observe that over a period of time that in the world it's become great. And it's been, uh, again, uh, there's different things that have transpired, but over history they've been peacemakers. And because of that, we've been the number one uh, sender of missionaries into the world because of the government that was set up here. And if we cease to participate in it and only criticize and rebel against it, it's going to cave in. But if we begin to pray and we begin to participate and we begin to see what righteousness is like and we begin to ask God, where would you have us be involved in this government? God set it up for it to be us to be protected, for us to be safe, for lawbreakers to be prosecuted and law-abiding people to be safe. You say, well, that's not what's happening. That's why we need to pray and get involved. Not sit back and simply criticize, but to understand what God is doing. And there's maybe people in the wrong place, but God has set up governments for our protection. So he says that we should pray. Turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Again, a young pastor that Paul's instructing, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities uh, to obey. To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He's like, listen, 
When, when we get into this rhetoric and hateful things, we begin to despise or lowly esteem the goodness of God. We were all once a disobedient, hateful, in, in, in measure under sin, but God in his mercy came and redeemed us. And God wants to use the church to bring the goodness of God uh, to mankind. So he doesn't want us to get involved in simply rebelling and speaking evil of the authorities that are around us. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. So in the mouth of two or three witnesses, Paul is telling Timothy, Paul's telling the Romans, but here Peter is instructing the church at Jerusalem. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put a silence to the ignorance of foolish men. I'll just read that again. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, reverence God, honor the king. Hmm. So there's just a place where God says, when you understand the offices, the positions of authority that I've set for your protection, all right, we're not simply looking at personalities, we're looking at what God has set up. So over a, you know, a, a period of time, We've allowed things to, to slip uh, as the church to where we start taking the positions of authority and relating them to the personality that's in that and not recognizing that in coming against the personality, we start to degrade people's mindset of the office. We begin to devalue the very position that God set up because we don't like the personality that's in place. And because we've devalued through personalities the position, we've ceased to give honor, which when the, cease, the church ceases to give honor, the enemy starts to flood those places, right? If we don't value them, we cease to participate in them, but yet at the same time, we think that they should be doing everything that pleases us. They should be ruling righteously. They should be doing things right that protect us, but over a period of time, we've lowered the value of that office, so how can we expect with a low esteem of the office that then all of a sudden they should be operating at a high level to take care? It speaks to hypocrisy, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to keep out, not that we lay down and let governments run over us, but that we honor the offices of government and we realize that God wants us, the church, to begin to live in a righteous way so that he can position us properly to actually have influence in these areas. So where do you get that from? Well, Daniel's a really good place to get that from. Right? They were in captivity to a, a ruling government, and so they, they all with grace and with... Uh, um, 
honor Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The king said, I've got a plan, and I'm going to take all these Hebrew people, and I'm going to feed them my way. I'm going to change everything, and they're going to be better for it. And they said, there ain't no way we're going to be better because this is a mess. So they petitioned. They had favor. How many of you know you have favor on you? You walk in the favor of God. Alan shared that this morning. When you know you have favor on you. So they knew we have favor. So they asked the guard. They said, listen, this is where we're at. This is humbly, but please don't feed us the king's food. And so because they had favor with that guard, they didn't eat the king's food. Because they obeyed God. They didn't rebel. They didn't throw their food around. They didn't scream and yell. Right? They'd have been killed or something. They just understood. They had favor. They, they did it with honor and respect. And so because they did in that favor, they ate what they were supposed to eat as the people of God under his covenant. So at the end, when it all came to be tested, they ended up being ten times wiser than everybody else who partook of the king's food. In other words, then God blessed them and the wisdom of God and how they conducted their life was higher. And he raised them to a place of authority. He put them in governmental positions under the king. Now, everybody else in government did not like that. You know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were, the king liked them. They were in a place of government and, and had input. And people said, we don't like your input. We don't like your godly input. We don't like this righteous input. And so they went and they said, king, man, you're awesome. You should build a statue of yourself. And they're just thinking, this is crazy. So King Nebuchadnezzar, being the egotist that he was, he built a, 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 a statue of himself. And he said, everybody's going to bow down. And so when the trumpets and all the instruments play, everybody's going to bow down. Well, all these people bowed down. They thought, we got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've got them now because uh, uh, we know they're not going to submit to this. Well, when everybody bowed down, they didn't rebel and make a big scene. They just didn't bow down. And so where did they end up? They ended up right before the king. And the king liked those guys. But because he was king, he couldn't allow himself to be thwarted. So he said, you know what, uh, you guys, uh, you've really made me angry here. You didn't bow down. Uh, you've called my hand, so I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Well, you all know the story. God delivered them out of the fiery furnace. And because of that great favor upon their life, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar said, now this nation is going to serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Change the government. They didn't even have an insurrection or rebellion. They just served God, had favor. God delivered them out of punishment, right? They just didn't bow down. So then Daniel, he's living through all of this. Uh, he comes under Darius. He has great favor. And it says that he ruled in the government, and everybody knew there was an excellent spirit in him. God lifted him into a place of government to make a change in that government. They had persecution, but God always delivered them in that. God worked to raise up people of God in righteousness to put in positions to where they had the ruling authority's ear concerning that. People didn't like that. They were persecuted, but God came on the scene. God showed himself strong, and it changed the rule of government. So if we begin to look and say, how do I get involved in my local community? How do I get involved in these things without being rebellious and having to have slanderous words and all kinds of anger and bitterness? How do I do that? Because I honor the office. 
God, I want, you to, I want to see what you want to do through your church in raising me to places where I have influence. We have many people, you probably don't know all the people that are going on, but we have people in different areas that have got into places of governing decision-making, been on boards of different aspects of uh, ruling things, and they've had great influence and great say. God put them there for a reason for that decision-making in those places of government, local governments, places where it makes a, a difference of how we live our lives. Certainly, we know there's prominent people who have been into national politics, but really say, well, I don't know. I don't feel any of that. How do you govern your family? How do you participate uh, in neighborhood? How, how are we participating in the things that are going on, right? There's neighborhoods right now that a lot's going on. A lot of people are angry about a lot of different things and growth and stuff. How do we get involved to say what's right? Not let's, let's find out how we can be the most angry. How can we have a voice about what is right? How can we have the wisdom of God of how you plan for the benefit of people? You don't end up with too many people and not enough infrastructure. You don't end up with too many people and not enough law enforcement. You don't end up with too many buildings and not enough fire protection. There's smart people in the church that could figure that stuff out. God could give them wisdom. Or we can just sit back and murmur and complain and talk badly. Yet, we still move around on everything that was created for us to move around in. Paul is addressing that. Think about it. Just think for a moment. 2,000 years ago, they had the same problem. I want to enjoy the nice roads that the Roman government's building. I want to enjoy the infrastructure. I want to enjoy the safety that they provide me so that even, even at that point in time, right, the Jews were looking to really kill anybody who called Christians, so they came under the protection of the Roman government to some extent. And the, yet the, the, the peace of the Roman government, the law of the Roman government, the Judaizers used that to falsely accuse Christians so that they would get arrested by the Roman government. So there's been stuff going on forever, yet Paul still writes to the church, how do we as people of God live holy and show respect for offices that God has ordained to be for our safety, not for our detriment, right? And so... Again, we could go way back to David. David uh, came up under uh, what was ordained of a, a king, uh, ordained of God, who lost his way. Anybody ever heard of Saul? He was anointed by God. He lost his way. He began to disobey God. David came in as a man of God. I mean, there, there, there's a real, uh, a real challenge right there when you know I'm actually anointed to be the next king. And this guy's lost his marbles. We could make a quick switch here, and it would be better for me. Yet David didn't consider what was better for him. He considered what was better for the people of God. Right? Say, so, well, it wasn't better for the people of God for Saul to be crazy and reigning over the people. No, it wasn't better for them to be under the rule of Saul, but had he rose up and killed Saul, the nation would have been in disarray. So he trusted God. And even when he was hunted down, 
and he, he was right there in a cave, and he could have ended it. He could have become king in a second. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. He said, how could he do that? That man was crazy. He wasn't governing right. He was still anointed by God. Was he doing what God anointed him to do? No, but he was still anointed by God. I know some people are like, so are you saying our president is anointed by God? No, I didn't say that. I said Saul was anointed by God. <laughs> but what I am saying is you can, have, you can feel like everything is against you so you could lash out against it. Or you could say these offices are set by God and I will not begin to devalue the office by how I respond to it. All right, let's move on. Praise the Lord. How many of you want to live godly in Christ Jesus? All right. Praise the Lord. So back to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Again, we can begin to look and see how do we participate in uh, uh, the things and be active within the things. Because I believe that what, what he was saying here is that we, we involve ourselves. Anytime we're in a culture, we're in a society in order to participate in the greater community, we have to see all the parts that come to play and respect one another and live within that place. And he begins to tell us and, and cause us to look at this. So he goes on, again, scriptures that have been brought out. He says, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so, again, uh, really to have to say, why in the world would you say, um, uh, don't owe anybody anything. It seems like, why, why would you bring that up? Well, he's just talked about paying tribute, paying taxes, doing all that. He says, this, this is all something that you have to understand. You have to give honor. But back in the day, some writers, some theologians say that they got into the place of Christian churches. They took the Lord's Prayer that he had that was written down, said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, they thought, because we're Christians, all debts should be washed away. And Paul was saying, listen, Pay the people you owe the debt, fulfill the debt, be finished with the debt. Don't just act like because you're a Christian, you shouldn't owe anybody. And we think that might be strange, but there's Christians all the time saying, because I'm a Christian and you're a Christian, you should give me something for free. He said, no, really, we, we fulfill. We, we, if we have debt, we fulfill. We pay it off. We don't just walk away and say we don't owe anybody anything. He said, but what you do have every single day is you have a debt to every person to love them. Right? You have a debt to every single person to love them. That's mind-blowing right there. Why? Because in loving them, you have fulfilled the law. We're like, I'm not under the law. I'm not under the law. Well, you bring yourself under the law, except that you love one another. Because without love, you actually cannot fulfill the law. Selfishness will cause you to commit adultery. Selfishness will cause you to steal from somebody else. Selfishness will cause you to covet your neighbor's goods. Love will release you from that. All right, so he's talking about governments, but then he starts to say, how do we get active in setting a whole different counter culture 
that begins to move in the midst of this culture that we live in that is evil. The way that we do that is we love one another. And in so, we fulfill commandments. He goes on to say this, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not lie or bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, wouldn't that be a great culture to live in? We used to. Some of you have been around long enough. I mean, when we first moved here, we did not lock our doors. We did not lock our cars. We never locked our cars until something got stolen out of it. We didn't lock it when we had something, and then we started locking it when we had nothing. <laughs> We're always a little bit late. We had hundreds of dollars worth of cassette tapes. <laughs> we went to visit at the hospital. We were doing God's work, and somebody stole our cassette tapes. And little did they know while they were stealing them, all they had to do is start punching them in, and they were all Christian music. <laughs> but right after they stole it, we started locking our car, and there was nothing in there to steal. Right. Why, why did we do that? How could we do that? Because we lived in a community where there was mutual respect for one another. And so what he's saying is this, this one commandment that we say, well, we don't live under the law anymore, but you will live under the law unless you learn to love like God loves. And when we love like God loves, it starts to spread throughout a community that you do no harm to one another because you love one another. But where there is not that love, we'll go back, where there is not that love one for another because there's sin in the world, you need governmental authorities and laws to rule over one another. But he said the church could come to a place where there is no fear. We fulfill that law, and that's how we should be conducting ourselves. Are you all with me? 11. And do this knowing that the time now is at hand, right? Do this right now. Start loving right now. There's no time like the present to start loving with the love of God. It's time to wake up from the sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, Paul's like, come on, man. Our salvation, the redemption, Jesus coming back is sooner than we first believed. It's sooner than a few years ago. And 2,000 years later, some people are like, say, he thought it was coming, then it didn't even come in his lifetime. Well, I'm just telling you, Jesus is coming sooner than when we first believed. He's coming. And the time is getting short. And whether or not the time is short, whether he comes in this generation or not, your time and my time is short. Anybody notice that time seems to be going by pretty fast? When you're a parent, you, you have a child and you're like, oh, this wonderful baby, this is going to last forever. And you blink and they're teenagers. As much as we look at time, time is short. And he says, listen, it's time to wake up because time goes by like that. Don't put off loving one another. Don't put off living in the way that God calls us to live. Don't, don't put these things off till later. Now is the time. Why? Because Jesus' coming is sooner than when we first believed. 
He said, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He said, just like you would put off an old coat and put on a new coat, put off the way you used to live and put on the way that God has redeemed you to live. He said, let us walk properly as in the day. And then he, t- he gives them some specific things. He said, not in revelry. Not in revelry. In, in other words, he was speaking to groups of people that would get together at nighttime and they would begin to, 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 to just party until it got out of hand. And they began to, in their partying, begin to break laws and begin to uh, uh, vandalize and do things. He said, don't live your life in that revelry and in, in drunkenness. So the Greeks, although they, they drank wine because of the water situation, uh, I was reading some things, they abhorred drunkenness. They had a class of wine that was, uh, uh, you know, lower grade, if you will. I don't know how, they, how you explain it. But because of their water situation and the consumption and the filtration of that, they drank wine. But they abhorred drunkenness. So we live in a different day and the potency and all that stuff and, and, and the water purification. But he said, listen, uh, don't, don't waste your time in drunkenness. Not in lewdness. Lewdness, that word, that Greek word, lewdness, just means the bed, what it's talking about. Don't live your life in adultery. Don't live your life. Many translations say it. Don't live your life in cohabitation. I got quiet. Right? It's time to, to make a change in some things. Don't live in, in lusts. And don't live your life not in strife, striving against one another, not in envy. Right, that envy is a bad thing. It can be, you know, there, there's lights of it that say, oh, if I aspire to be like somebody, I envy them. But the root that he's talking about is this place where this envy, it's, it's really a, it's an evil thing when you think about it and you break it down. We look at jealousy and say jealousy's not bad, but, but the, the spirit of God yearns jealously. In other words, if, if you're, you're doing something or have something that I want, and I'm like, I'm jealous of you, I wish I had that. That's not so harmful. But envy is this. You have something that I want. And because you have it and I don't, I don't want you to have it. He said, quit, quit living wishing you had something that others have and despising them for having it. He said, it's a waste of time in the day that we live in. He said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. He said, it's not a good day to say, you know what? I've got my church life, and then I've got my other life. Because in my other life, I can do some things that my flesh wants to do and not feel bad about it. And then I can come to church and feel okay about that. He said, no, don't be doing that. Because in doing that, in putting all this together, we realize that the graces and the godly influence that he has for the church begins to spring forth. Out of this kind of life, supernatural things begin to take place. Out of this kind of life, supernatural ministry in your family, in your communities, in your workplace begin to take place. Because everybody's not going to speak well of you when they find out they're a Christian, but when they run into problems, they know where the power and the goodness of God exists.
But when we blend in with them, they don't know where to go. When we stand out, they do know where to go. And when they know where to go, you actually have power and authority given by God to make change. You have an anointing by God to pray for them, to break things down. But there's an example. Then, I'm not just praying for you to be set free. I'm not just praying for you to be healed. What do I do then? What do I do when I accept Jesus? What do I do now that you prayed and, and I should be delivered? What do I do? You can invite them in and say, how do I, how do I, how do I live a life like you do? How do I live a life not upset at every politi- political thing that goes on? How do I live this way? We should be living an example. How do I get out of this situation where the desires of my flesh overtake me all the time? How do you how do, you do that? Don't you have desires? Yes. But I put those aside for Jesus. God wants us to become an example. Praise the Lord. All right, why don't you stand up with me? Hopefully that helped you. If it didn't and you don't agree with any of this stuff I said about governing authorities, then dig in and look at the Scripture. Dig in and look at the Scripture. Don't just say, I don't agree with that, and I'll say whatever I want. I'll disrespect whatever I want. Just don't do that. If you think something's different, find it in the Bible. All right? But I believe that we'll be well served to say, listen, I don't have to agree with everything, but I do agree with God. And I'm not just here to roll over and let all authority run over me, but I am here to respect it and value it. When I highly value it, then God, I can pray for the right people to be in the right place. And if God wants me to be involved, if God wants to put me places, when we live in the love of God, And we let that go, what Paul is saying there. He also said this. He said, when we experience the love of God and we begin to comprehend the depth and the breadth and the height and the length of his love, not human love that says, I love you because you love me, a greater love, we experience the love of God that loved us even when we were yet in sin and paid the price for us. That kind of love, we experience it. He said, now God's able to do something in you and through you that is beyond what you ever hoped dreamed, asked, or thought. What does that mean? I believe it means at least in part because he just said through the church, God is going to make known the manifold wisdom of God to all the workings of the enemy. He's going to make known the wisdom of God through the church, people who know the love of God and experience that. And because they have the love of God and all the influence of the principalities and powers for hate and for anger and despising, God says, I will, by the love of God, put you before kings and people in authority because you honor me and you love me, and I'll give their ear to your voice, and you'll have an influence. But if we just walk in despite, spite and hatred and, and backbiting and all that stuff, how can God give us a position to have influence? God has a great design. Jesus has a great design like we were saying today. The head can only do what the head wants to do through the body. And if we start to listen to the head and obey the head, he's going to start moving, sending signals through the central nervous system to the body and move the body to shake hands, to have influence, to have have a relationship through his love that will be very influential and spark revival. And in the spark of that revival, there will be a great outpouring and there will be a great harvest of souls and then Jesus is coming back. Come on. The time is shorter than it's ever been. 
And he wants to spark a revival through the church, not just a time where we're like, whoo, in the building, but we have whoo in the building to empower us to go out and have influence to spark a revival that takes it to the lost. And God does something magnificent, and Jesus comes for a glorious church. Amen? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. You're so good. Your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Holy Spirit, continue to lead us and to guide us and to teach us. Take the things that we've heard, that we might look into the Word and see that these things are so. We might, you might help us with wisdom. That means application of this thing that we know, applying it to our day-to-day life. Truly the wisdom of God coming upon us. How do we take what's on these pages, take what we've heard, and apply it in our day-to-day life that our daily living we might see and prove out that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Empower us, teach us, lead us, guide us, and anoint us as we go from this place to serve others throughout our week, the very goodness of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me. By Adam's fall, you can be dismissed. Make it a great week.